the Fat Boy Show. Well, you're listening to The Fat Boy Show on RX Radio today. And uh, as you know, here on The Fat Boy Show, we like to have interesting conversations with interesting people out there that are out there breaking barriers and doing uh, things that deserve our attention. Now, quite often we talk about the things that are affecting us in our home country of Uganda, where the show and the station is based. But we also like to pay attention to some of what's happening overseas Uh, Mainstream international corporate news media features a lot of stories coming out of the United States, Europe and elsewhere. And I'm sure if you are a keen follower of international news, you do pay attention to a lot of what's happening in the United States. Uh, Right now in the United States, you might be aware that there's a lot of tension, racial tension and discussions about racism. You know, the George Floyd trial, uh, the Joe Biden, Donald Trump, the politics of it all and all of this stuff that's happening uh, and so even we here in Uganda we do uh, catch wind of what's happening there and sometimes it uh, creates for interesting conversation here even though we're situated far away uh, and so to help shed some light on some of these uh, interesting political developments happening in the United States today on the Fatboy Show I'm happy to be talking to Giannis Gatsiunis, uh who is actually someone I've known for a while he's a good friend He's a co-chapter lead at an institution called uh, Fairness Against Intolerance and uh, Racism. Uh, And uh, he's based in California at the moment. But uh, he's previously written articles that have appeared in Time Magazine, Washington Post, New York Times, Wall Street Journal. And the time that I met him in Kampala almost 10 years ago, uh, he was uh, writing for Time. And uh, obviously, he's gone on to explore very many interesting things including starting a podcast called Breaklines. Giannis joins us from California. Hello, Giannis. How are you today? Hi, James. Good to hear you. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, Happy it's, to it, be here. G- good to have you here. And, uh, you know, for those who don't know, um, you were in Uganda around, was, would, would that be around 2010, 2011, somewhere there? That's right. Yep. You know my dates better than I do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and. <laughs> It's roughly right. And I miss Uganda. I really do. So I hope to see you all before too long. Once uh, this pandemic settles down, I'll try to make my way back to that part of the world. Uh, looking forward to it. Well, uh, since you've been back to the States, I've been following uh, some of what you've been doing. And I saw that uh, you started mm. a podcast in which you discuss uh, mainly domestic politics, American politics. Uh, and uh, could you start by telling us why you felt the need to start a podcast? What is it you talk about on your podcast? Sure. So last year, uh, before George Floyd's death, I had a vague sense that I wanted to start a podcast. And I didn't know exactly what shape it would take. And I figured I was still about three, four months away uh, from getting it started. I uh, wanted to get equipment and furniture, so to speak. Uh, But then George Floyd's death happened, and the country took a very weird turn. And I figured I had to get on the air sooner than I'd expected. It felt a bit like opening a restaurant before the silverware had been delivered. (laughs) But I saw some very unsettling trends. There was 
the conspicuousness of George Floyd's death, a clear injustice, uh, and the protests that followed uh, were headline grabbing. But underneath all of that was this very disturbing trend towards illiberalism that had been festering for several years prior and just became more accelerated in the uh, months following his death, whereby we are really squelching speech. We are uh, looking at other people suspiciously based on their skin color and their gender. And ultimately this is at odds with pluralism and is not sustainable in a very diverse country such as ours. And so, I would argue even a diverse country such as yours. Okay, so for those who, uh, you know, who may not be fully aware, can you just paint a picture of what the political landscape in America is so that our listeners can understand when you say illiberal, do you mean generally speaking or among the class of people we would typically call liberal? How would this contrast with those that would be called conservatives? Explain to us uh, briefly, if you can, the nature of the political divide and where each camp falls and where you see the fault lines emerging and growing. Mm -hmm. Well, firstly, I don't think either side of the political divide is in a very healthy state. Both have moved more towards extremes. And as you do that, obviously, you invest more in emotion than you do in logic. Uh, conservatives, I would argue, had a very bad run under Trump. And I think that helped justify uh, the illogic of wokeness, which is the identity politics that has become so acute on the left side of the little political divide among people who we call progressives, but really are supporting an authoritarian, neo-racist approach to politics that is anything but progressive. They want to squelch speech. Uh, they want to. They, they would rather not have a conversation on difficult issues like race, and when they are confronted with ideas that challenge their simplistic notions of how the world works, they seek to cancel. And we are seeing this all around the country. Uh, we're seeing uh, students being marginalized. We're seeing workers being fired. We're seeing uh, editors of newspapers pushed out. Uh, we're seeing university uh, professors silenced, having their tenures revoked and so forth. It's become a very, very tense and oppressive environment. And much of this is being um, uh, 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 promoted by people who in the past uh, gravitated to liberal values such as uh, reason and logic and tolerance, but have abandoned them in the pursuit of political power. So um, when we here think of uh, liberal people in America, you know, we are typically thinking of people that would describe themselves or identify as Democrats. Um, and, uh, you know, in the past, there were always the people that were anti-war, anti-establishment, pro-free speech. These were the people uh, defending the burning of the American flag during the Vietnam War. The Democrats have always been the cool people that sort of, or the liberals, cool people who would let people just be what they want to be and say what they want to say. And it was typically thought to be the conservatives, the right wing side of things, where these were the Bible thumping, religious extremists, uh, conservatives. 
who voted Republican, who wanted to ban um, pornography, wanted to ban rock music, rap music, and all of this stuff. So previously, they were the the, the party poopers. They, they were the ones that were very uh, strict and authoritarian. And the liberals, the Democrats, the progressives were the cool hippies, right? Who was who were gung ho for freedom. Uh, it would seem as though the coin has flipped to where. Uh, the leading advocates of free speech and freedom, the people that lean more towards the right or Republicans, whereas uh, we're seeing those that would describe themselves as Democrats or liberal in America, uh, being very much in favor of censorship. The whole phenomenon of cancel culture seems at the moment exclusively a domain of sort of left-wing liberal uh, ideology, um, because what are people being canceled for? Oh, he said something racist. He said something sexist. And these are sort of like the the sacred cows of um, liberalism of today. Like these are the these are the hot topic uh, issues that uh, that uh, consume the minds and the conversations that take place in that uh, political sphere. But because they control so much of the, I would say the the popular culture, uh, they control uh, the mainstream media. These concerns about racism, sexism have sort of become more mainstream concerns. And uh, depending on where you fall, I I guess, depending on uh, what sins you commit with respect to these dogmas, you very easily will see yourself losing your job, being deplatformed. And it very much seems to be uh, a campaign being driven by people on the left. Now, you yourself would be, would you describe yourself as leaning on the left and is that why you're concerned that you're seeing this coming from your side of the aisle i absolutely am concerned about it and i think it is much more acute on the left but it's not as if the right is immune to cancel culture we certainly see uh instances that have been occurring among conservatives a clear example would be liz cheney who uh opposed donald trump Uh, she was a top ranking republican and uh, felt he should be held accountable for the shenanigans uh, during the election. And uh, she has essentially been deplatformed from the Republican Party. That said, I think it is much more acute, uh, much more uh, fanatical on the left side of the political divide. One reason for that is because uh, whatever you want to call it, critical race theory slash cancel culture slash wokeness, in many ways operates like an authoritarian religion. It's our way or the highway. Uh, It invests very heavily in dogma and in simplistic ideas, for example, that people should be judged exclusively by the color of their skin. If you have a difficult uh, situation in your life, uh, a bad altercation with somebody, say at the supermarket, channel it through the lens of race to better understand its significance which of course is a very, very shallow way of of looking at the world and is going to lead to very faulty conclusions. Um, That said, it's it's important here to recognize that not everybody on the left side of the political divide agrees with what's going on. In fact, there is growing concern about it. And you were talking about uh, the woke set controlling the media, the levers of power. They are in a minority, but their influence is outsized because they have 
gotten control of these key institutions. But if, for example, you were to read comment sections in the New York Times, this is purely anecdotal, but I don't think it's insignificant. You will see, and it, obviously their readership is left leaning. I can't count to you the number of times in recent weeks and months that I have read people in those sections, many of them the top rated comments, declaring themselves as left-leaning liberals who have become very uncomfortable, even sickened by some of the liberal trends that uh, their quote-unquote progressive brothers and sisters have been promoting. And as a result, we're living in an environment where I think come the 2022 midterms, even though people don't like what they're seeing coming from the conservative ranks, conservatives, for example, aren't really promoting anything. They're doing a lot to obstruct. They may actually end up getting a lot more swing votes than they would under normal circumstances. And I think that's attributable to a broader discomfort with the illiberal left. You mentioned earlier, uh, I think, that uh, conservatives had fared uh, poorly uh, during the era of Trump. Um, if what you're saying is true, is what we're seeing now, like this uh, hard swing towards wokeness, is it sort of just a reflex action, uh, like a reaction to the presidency of Donald Trump? So certain people in the left wing are feeling a need to overcompensate for what they believe were the excesses of the Trump era. I think without question, wokeness wouldn't have gotten as far as it has uh, without uh, Trump being in power. Uh, there was so much paranoia, so much hysteria, so much outrage in response to him. And that allowed wokeness to justify some really absurd excesses. Now that Trump is out of power, I think people are beginning to see the issue more clearly. So take, for example, the term woke itself. It's, it's been odd to, to watch the, the, the evolution of this word, our relationship to it. About a year ago, in the wake of George Floyd's murder, uh, it was considered great to be woke. It was you know, considered a compliment. It, it, it uh, implied enlightenment. And within a very short period of time, it has become a pejorative. For example, you went to Twitter. Okay, that's not the most reliable source for, for information, but it can tell us something. And if you were to, for example, put hashtag woke uh, in Twitter, you will see that almost none of the usages are complimentary. It is, it is used in a very negative sense. And that is, I think, because woke has gotten really excessive. It's become very authoritarian. It's become very abusive of, of power. But just a second, Giannis. I mean, you work with uh, a foundation that exists to fight uh, racism and intolerance and so ordinary people might think uh, that's that's as woke as it gets so and why would you think this label would not apply to you and to what you are doing you're out there looking for signs of racism and intolerance and are challenging it to a lot of people that sounds like being woke yeah uh, it's the foundation against intolerance and racism, and there's an uh, important a distinction to make here. The, the, what the woke set is doing is actually very neo-racist. They are putting people into simplistic categories based on skin color, based on their gender, and it's, they're essentially promoting a racist ideology. You are either uh, deemed good or bad based on that skin color. Right? This is like segregationist thinking pre-Martin Luther King Jr. Where they have succeeded in fooling a lot of people 
is by using wonderful, flowery, non-racist language. So terms like equity and justice, diversity and inclusion. They aren't really those things. The Foundation Against Intolerance and Racism sees that. And if you look at our website, they, they, they explain all of this. And they are taking a more pluralistic approach, which is you are not better or worse than somebody because of your skin color, because of your physical anatomy. Um, and we should be treated equally based on the content of our character, not the color of our skin. What we have to be on the lookout is for uh, organizations, institutions that use language, for example, inclusion. We're all about inclusion, a company will say. Well, inclusion is not really about inclusion. It is about limiting speech, right? Oh, we are going to create an environment where nobody's feelings are going to be hurt. So if you cross this line and you don't say exactly what we want you to say, you will be canceled in the name of inclusion. There's you, nothing tolerant. There's nothing that is is um, uh, non-racist about that. Well, a, a woke person would argue that uh, because, you know, blacks and other minorities have been subjected to, you know, uh, decades or if not centuries of institutionalized racism, that this predisposes them towards uh, sensitivity uh, when it comes to certain forms of speech and language. And so people like you... Uh, you know, and you are a white man, <laughs> for those who haven't figured out yet, uh, who claim to stand for liberalism and to fight racism, uh, you need to acknowledge that you are very much a part of the problem. And for you to claim that people shouldn't be offended by things you say, that in itself uh, is racist. You are speaking from a place of privilege. You don't understand how a minority would feel uh, to hear certain words or to hear certain expressions. What would you say to that kind of thing from a woke person? I would say that is primarily to... Uh be frank about it, uh, BS. Um, I've lived in this country long enough. I've had enough meaningful conversations with people of color um, to know that sensitivity is now being wielded as a weapon. It's become weaponized. And so the woke set has very clearly figured out if we can claim that our feelings are hurt, we can control speech, we can uh, uh, amass power, um, and I think this is this is very related to a kind of darker impulse in the hearts of humans throughout history. And we have just found a new way of justifying that position. I myself as a white person, I'm not responsible for oppression that has happened in the past. I feel no shame for the color of my skin, just as I hope my uh, brothers and sisters who are people of color feel no shame for theirs. That's not a burden I'm going to carry. If by contrast, I commit a horrific act uh, based on my skin color and directing it towards somebody else. Yeah, but Giannis, racial hostility. By, your, by your very existence as a white man, you perpetuate <laughs> the racist system. <laughs> <laughs> it's, right? it's, the, it's the new original sin, isn't it? Hang me in the public square. <laughs> it's the new original sin. Um, it's very dogmatic, except at least with Christianity, there's a path towards salvation. Under wokeness, I think a white man is eternally doomed, right? <laughs> Absolutely. He's the devil incarnate. There's no Jesus to give uh, you life to so that you can get redeemed. Right. Uh, but, yeah, the what we have done 
this is very pre-enlightenment as we have invested more in the notion of hurt feelings than uh, truth-telling. So when we say, oh my gosh, that's too sensitive, you can't say that, we're really curbing speech. And speech is a means by which to understand each other, uncover truth, and progress. And there's something very kindergarten-esque about saying we have to be so careful that we, you know, with what we say, because we might offend a fellow adult. It's infantilizing. We, uh, it's infantilizing, right? It's the, it's, what is it? The, the, almost the, the, I forget who coined the phrase, but the, uh, is it the uh, soft racism of low expectations? Right. R- right. And, you, you think so poorly of me that you don't think I can handle <laughs> uh, speech that I might disagree with. Right. Very condescending. Yes. Mm. I can still have meaningful conversations with people of color when we rise above that notion that somebody's feelings might get hurt. We're all adults and we generally know what's offensive and what's not. We don't need somebody you know, changing the goalposts uh, just to control what we do and say. And with my podcast, Breaklines, that's something I have been very... Uh, intent to overcome. I'm not going to limit my speech. If I do, and I'm not being a shock jock, I'm saying what I sincerely feel needs to be said. But if I limit my speech, then I'm actually um, uh, enabling uh, the very dysfunction uh, that I feel we so urgently need to outgrow. Well, I've uh, I've been listening to a number of uh, self-described liberals who say things like, um, I didn't leave the left, the left left me. Meaning as the more extreme the left wing gets in its uh, approach to how to handle uh, you know, various items on their agenda, the illiberalism that you're talking about creeping in, um, you know, liberals such as yourself who believe in open exchange of ideas, who believe in free speech are increasingly finding themselves um, being lumped together with conservative advocates of similar ideas. So now when I go on Twitter or on the internet, I see a lot of the liberals that believe in free speech being denounced as right wing. And actually, they do tend to find a lot of support among um, right wing audiences, especially uh, content creators on places like YouTube or commentators on Twitter who are self-described liberal. But they have a growing conservative fan base because at least on the notion that there should be free speech and that people shouldn't be canceled, you seem to share a common ground. So are you finding yourself feeling uh, uncomfortably more at home with uh, conservatives lately than you would with uh, fellow people on the left? I would say on an individual basis, that may be the case. I still have a lot of unease with the direction that the Republican Party has gone in general. I do think one bright, there is a possibility that we may see a greater, uh, a broader consensus among left and right in response to wokeness. There is such a possibility. Wokeness is now a common enemy. Uh, it's, it's turning into a common enemy of liberals and conservatives, isn't it? Uh, do you watch Bill Maher? I think so. <laughs> I haven't seen him lately, but I'm familiar with him. Yeah, but, uh, you know, he often stokes the ire of the progressive left because he kind of calls out wokeness and cancel culture. 
But he hasn't changed dramatically, right? He's still who he is. It's just the fact that there is so much uh, offense uh, from the far left in response to Bill Maher is, uh, communicates just how far off the deep end they've gone. I mean, what he's saying wouldn't have been offensive to anybody on the left five years ago. Yeah. So, but here's the thing I do. I recently wrote an article for the New York Daily News uh, arguing that we need more liberals to step up to the plate in fighting cancel culture and it's one it's good politics for them it will communicate that you know there is opposition to this within our own ranks which could you know prevent a a lot of voters uh, going for republicans but number two as we said earlier control uh, many of the institutions where wokeness is playing out and so conservatives are um, introducing bills to ban the teaching of critical race theory, this neo-racist framework that simplifies, you know, uh, very complex issues. Uh, and they may succeed to a certain degree, but ultimately these institutions need to be cleansed from within. And we on the left are in a better position to do that because we're operating from the inside. And there has just been too much self-censorship, too much apathy among our own ranks. In doing so, if we were to get to that spot, I think Republicans might soften a bit, might say, hey, wait a minute. Not all of these leftists, so to speak, are one and the same. There's diversity in their ranks and some are bad, but then some are good. And that could help uh, bridge the divide. I mentioned earlier in the belly of the beast, you're based in California. Uh, California is wokeness central, basically. (laughs) Uh, The headquarters of wokeness, you could say. Uh, And there you are um, putting out these ideas on your uh, podcast and elsewhere. Uh, Are you meeting much resistance from your audience on these ideas? Occasionally. I think at some point, though, you have to just weather the storm. I'll be honest, it's been a good learning experience for me. Uh, unlike you, I'm new to broadcast media. And, uh, you know, when I first started, I was a little uneasy. Like, what's the response going to be? And as you go on, your skin toughens and, and you know, you, you evolve and, and um, learn how to, you know, uh, weather the comments. I will say this, uh, in California, we have, uh, I think, uh, a, a bill is being introduced that would uh, ban the teaching of advanced math in the name of equity and Imagine um, that. <laughs> um, yeah and so we're talking about a country that you know has, has historically prided itself on quote-unquote exceptionalism and now is is in many ways dumbing itself down so that people's feelings aren't hurt and everybody feels included uh that's pretty sad because you know when i was living overseas in uganda and asia prior to that and i talked to leaders you know what do you what, what do you see for your country what do you need to do uh to develop um they understood that you know we we need to have a we need to have a tolerant plural society that strives towards excellence and it seems that ironically america is moving in the opposite direction than such countries aspire towards well um I think a lot of people are going to be interested to hear more of your ideas. Um, Tell us once again uh, where one can find your podcast. It can be found on Apple, Spotify, any other major podcast platform. And it's Breaklines, one word, B-R-E-A-K-L-I-N-E-S. 
Wow. Okay. And uh, I'd like to thank you so much for uh, being a part of this conversation, Yanis. And uh, I hope uh, you'll accept our invitation in the future to discuss these issues further. They are actually of great interest to many of our listeners here. We are watching what's happening in America. And uh, for the most part, we are puzzled by a lot of the tension we're seeing. We thought, hey, we had Barack sure. Obama. Surely by now, America should be in a better place. And yet, uh, on the surface, it looks like there's a regression towards you know previous darker times in your history uh, so yeah I think right. I think we'd like to invite you back on uh, to help uh, shed more light on these issues and uh, we're really looking Anytime. forward to that thank you James thank you Uganda <laughs> alright Yanis hope to talk to you again soon ladies and gentlemen are you ready sounds good to me okay people listen RX Radio the Fat Boy Show